0: Hey, everyone. Paul here. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was having some back and forth with my friend, Adam Russell, who is a pastor at Vineyard Campbellsville in Campbellsville, Kentucky. He's also the national director of Vineyard Music, Vineyard Worship. And he's also the host of the Ferment Podcast, a podcast I really enjoy where they have dialogues and conversations with people about worship and spiritual transformation. I was talking with him on Twitter about the increase that we've both experienced in getting inquiries from people about psychedelics, and that got us thinking about how we could maybe do some public dialogue together about not just psychedelics, but really about the experience of God, the experience of transcendence we both have, deep roots in charismatic streams. We both have some pretty transformative experiences that have happened in our lives. And we also recognize there's a lot of people that have had similar experiences that are also exploring and becoming more curious about psychedelics. I had a great convo a couple weeks ago with Paul Reese. You might want to check out that convo. He was a guy that came out of new age phenomenon, was a guru getting paid $400 an hour to teach people mantras and was a serious psychonaut doing everything from DMT, to psilocybin, to all of that stuff, to also exploring things like lucid dreaming, a lot of the things that you're going to see in the people occupying this sort of new age spaces. Uh, and to see what they're pursuing so i talk about that and you might want to reference and go back and listen to that conversation at some point here too so today's combo just to be a little forewarned we also talk about sex so if you have children uh that are of age that are not aware of that reality like all the kids in my house um you this might not be one you want to listen to with them around and that's okay so i just thought you should be forewarned one other last warning before we get into the conversation not a warning but a note um i had some issues in recording this conversation this week so usually my audio which i record on my mic with my uh you know pro recording system i had to use my uh just my zoom setup so I hope you'll forgive the discrepancy in the audio quality from what you're typically accustomed to on this podcast. All right. Well, without any further qualifying statements, let's get into today's conversation with my friend Adam Russell. Adam, it's such a blast to do this, man. We—I uh, was just remembering. I think it was maybe this time last year that you were actually in Minneapolis. That is correct. Yeah, I was in your neck of the woods. You were? We had only been Twitter friends. (laughs) That's right. We had we had a real life face-to-face connection, had some had some hot chicken over at Revival here in South Minneapolis. And And as I remember, the beers were good as well. Yes, they were. They were. We're we're known for that in in the Twin Cities, although I think every every metropolitan area is trying to make a claim that they've got a a good craft craft beer scene. But I also remember you saying uh, how you found it shocking flying into Minneapolis that many of the trees were barely in bloom versus where you're at down in Kentucky. And, you know, we're just now, I think we had, uh, you know, we we still have been getting frost up until this past week. So it's insane. Yeah. I actually remember that trip. I was flying
1: up. Everything had already turned green in Kentucky. Things were in bloom. Things were great, right? And then I'm flying into Minneapolis and there were still like little patches of snow on the ground and the trees were barren. And I'm I'm like, (laughs) oh yeah, I'm really far
0: north. This is not a joke. Yeah, no, definitely not. I think uh, I've I've read an article recently. Someone was, you know, writing about why uh, Minnesota has had relatively fewer COVID cases. And this wasn't a joke. This wasn't just like Minnesota humor, but they were saying, you know, Minnesotans, because of our Brutal long winters are, are just pretty used to hunkering down and social distancing. So I guess it's got its perks. Well, you, as you mentioned, Adam, you're you're in Kentucky. You pastor a Vineyard Church, Vineyard Campbellsville, in Kentucky. But on top of that, you're also uh, the the director over Vineyard Worship music, the national director in, in the yes. United States, right? Yes. And you run and you run the Ferment podcast, which is one yes. of my faves too. How are you doing? All of this at the same time. Well, I just want to say I have
1: really good teams in all these locations. So I don't do any of it alone. I'm not I'm not Elon Musk. I I don't stay up all night. I sleep great. (laughs) I have a great staff at the church, you know? I really do. And then at Vineyard Worship, we have a small team, but such an such a capable team. Mm -hmm. And so we have really highly defined roles, and I have my little piece that I take care of. And then some other guys and gals that work with me, they they have their place as well, and so we're just sharing a lot of the load. So yeah. I do a lot of things, but I, I I'm I'm not doing it all. That's for yeah. aren't sure. In fact, oftentimes I'm doing the least.
0: Uh, <laughs> now you've now you've got that recorded for all the all the world. That's right. Well, I when we talked last year, you know, I I had mentioned to you how I've been impacted. Uh, significantly in my spiritual formation by music that came out of the vineyard movement. But for a lot of people that listen to my podcast or are coming from all over the place, I mean, there's Catholic listeners, there's people that are, I don't know, they're, they're maybe they don't even have a specific church they identify with. They like, just like listening in and wrestling with deep questions about philosophy and theology. Maybe there's people that aren't familiar with What the vineyard is. Could you give us a little background, a little history on what what our vineyard church is? And then maybe share a little bit about why you connect with their values and practices.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, really, really brief history of the vineyard. And I'm going to leave lots out, but this is maybe some of the highlights. Uh, The vineyard started in the very late 1970s, early 1980s in Southern California with a guy named John Wimber who was an ex-musician who was radically touched by Jesus and essentially started a, a church-planting movement that had strong what we might call third-wave revival roots to it. And what I mean by that is just a really strong presence of Holy Spirit ministry was a part of John's ministry, among other things. So uh that's that's one of the things that just sort of like characterizes the vineyard. But it wasn't just a renewal ministry alone. One of John's main values was that the vineyard was a church planting movement and uh John wanted there to be a vineyard church and a kingdom outpost in uh every city, you know? And so the vineyard planted churches all over the United States, but then all around the world. So like now there's about 600 in the U.S. and maybe 3,000 around the world. And uh, we, we share some values, but every church is autonomous. So you, you could go to two vineyards and they might be radically, radically different, You know? mm. even though there's some core beliefs underneath that, that, sort, of, that sort of tie us all together. Um, I think you asked there as well why I'm connected or what attracted me to the vineyard. Yeah. I got really, really touched by the spirit, so in the mid nineties maybe maybe you're a listener and you know some of what I'm about to share, or maybe maybe you don't, but in the mid nineties there was there was a, a fairly profound what we might call a charismatic renewal that happened that was yeah,
0: definitely fairly global oh and yeah. especially at least in the states I, I, that's
1: right it was yeah. it was well, in was, Canada <laughs> in Canada, you better believe it and and so i I grew up a charismatic kid in like the charismatic home group network kind of a thing. So it was in my background. Then in my high school years, I was a part of a church of Christ congregation, which would have been fairly cessationist. Uh, but I wanted to go because there were lots of friends there and that kind of thing. Anyway, my, my father-in-law who clearly was not my father-in-law at the time, because I was just in high school and I was dating his daughter. <laughs> my father-in-law took me to this meeting and it was a, A charismatic renewal meeting, I I wasn't entirely sure what the meeting was about, but I went in with them and I was profoundly touched by the spirit of God. And that's all I can say about it. Like I was overcome with Mm -hmm. the felt, and by felt, I mean in my body, not just in my head, not just in my mind, but in my body, I was overcome with the felt, tangible experience of God's love. That's all I can say. And I wasn't asking for it. I wasn't expecting it. Uh, it was something that was in the room, and it, it, it seemed to happen to me. And, and what I mean by that, if, if in case you're not initiated into this sort of thing, <laughs> yeah. I just mean that that during a particular moment of worship, so think like singing and whatnot. Um, what felt like a heavy blanket came on me. Yeah. Like, no, no, no one was around me, like necessarily praying. Like it's just you're in worship. Imagine a big group of people singing. And imagine a heavy blanket kind of landing on you. I know this sounds so esoteric. And imagine that somehow, psychologically, by the Spirit, whatever you want to say, I just knew that this was God's affection for me. Mm -hmm. And it got so heavy that I I couldn't stand up anymore. And I found myself on the floor, (laughs) basically unable to move. And I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed to talk about these experiences because That's they good. were so impactful for me. I mean, when you're 17 or 18 years old, the last thing you want to do is to end up on the floor unable to move with your girlfriend's dad <laughs> standing next to you, right? <laughs> yeah, like, right, this right. is just not what you want. But, but I was overcome. And uh, I got up. And all I can say is stuff in my life was different from that moment on. Mm-hmm. So childhood insecurities. I mean, I'm still an insecure person in a lot of areas, but the really big childhood insecurities that I had just as a result of growing up in the home that I grew up in and the life that I led, uh, they just fell off of me. And the first thing I can tell you that happened, this is kind of interesting, Paul. When I was in school, some people know what I'm talking about here, especially middle school, middle school and high school, I was really insecure and my insecurity manifested a couple ways. But one of them was I was really, really afraid to speak publicly at all. Hmm. So we'd have a class project. I would, I would be physically shaking if I had to present. And my freshman year, I, I had a pretty significant emotional breakdown in front of my class, tears oh, and high, no. oh. which was was really it, it made no sense. It it literally made no sense at all. And I had this encounter with God at this renewal meeting that was so formative for me. And when I left that encounter, I, I was, I was, I've never been afraid to speak in front of people again. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever that was, it just left me. Mm-hmm. In an and so, like, this is a bit of my vineyard story. Like, why am I a part of the vineyard? Well, because there's an expectation. There's... Um, there's a theology for this that that doesn't make you an uh, an outsider or, or someone who's on the fringes. It, it it means oh this in the vineyard this is normative Christianity, but the main reason I'm in the vineyard is while these th- kinds of things are normative, they're not prescriptive in a way or hyped in a way that becomes its own kind of performance game that you had to live. Yeah. 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 Does that make sense? Totally does. Yeah. Yeah. So in the vineyard, we have a thing, at least in our theology, where we sort of dilute all of this down to one little phrase, which is the kingdom of heaven is now and not yet. Mm -hmm. Meaning that the, the powers of the age to come are breaking into our current context. It's not imagination. It's real. Like whatever Jesus is and whatever Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection, it has changed the cosmos. And what we thought was stuck in the future, what we thought was stuck in heaven is being poured into the now. And so yeah. all kinds of things are, are, With, are possible.
0: Without getting to the point where it becomes so prescriptive, That's right. so much of an equation that you think you can go from somebody. And I, I think this is, I don't know if we've talked about this or not before, Adam, but I think there's a significant difference between living as if you can actually affect outcomes versus controlling outcomes. That's right. And and one of the hardest things, like like I've got emotions welling up in me as you share your story because I've that's my story too. I like I've been in that place. I've been in that a freshman in high school yes. where a, a revival hit my school in the same way. I wasn't looking for it. Even though we were a charismatic church, it was kind of just like at the end of songs from time to time, we'd sing in tongues, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I know some of you listening, that that's already weird enough as it is. But for us, it was just as liturgical as, you know, other churches closing their service with the benediction or, you know but for me it was so such an overwhelming feeling and when you're talking about that stuff I'm instantly transported back and yet I also saw in my own church context and in many other contexts I've, I've been in in these circles where you move from having an openness to the kingdom of god to the rule of god to being saturated with the greater consciousness of god in the here and now you move from that into going okay Now I'm going to be able to use this and to use it as a sort of technology at my disposal to control outcomes. And it's really hard to not move from that point where you're like, man, God is here now. I'm experiencing something to going, all right, it's going to look like this every single time. And we're going to bring the full realization of the eschatological rule and reign of God into the here and now. And anything less than that is going to be a failure. Yeah. And so I mean, having that value is huge. Because if you don't acknowledge that the possibility of God's kingdom... And it's hard, like I'm trying to think of multiple terms and I appreciate you doing the same too, for people in multiple contexts, because there's some, there is some like inside baseball lingo that we could kind of get bound up in that might not help people think about this in frames that are helpful to them. But the inbreaking of the kingdom, the greater awareness of God's nearness, anointing, presence of God, whatever, whatever you want to call it, um, Without an openness to that, it's hard.
1: It's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It well, and yet... One one way I like to frame it, and this is probably because I just... I've spent my life in Kentucky, which is mostly, if we're talking religiously, it's mostly Southern Baptist, right? Right. And so one way to, to sort of understand the inbreaking of the kingdom or the, the very present rule and reign of God is everything... Everything that most people thought was stuck in heaven is showing up now. Like, Mm -hmm. all the things you thought you had to die to see the benefit for. That's good. Is here and now, you know? And there's some aspect of that that's true, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You You don't have to die and go to heaven to know the nearness of God. You don't have to die and go to heaven to know that you're saved. To, like, know it, know it, know it. You don't have to die and go to heaven to see healing. And yet, some people will not get healed, and yet, some of those things will never be fully realized until we're held in his arms forever, right? And so, the kingdom of heaven is now and not yet, and it's really, really hard in some ways, but I've I've found such freedom in that, and I'm so glad that the vineyard has consistently articulated this high-tension dynamic.
0: So Anything can can happen, nothing has to happen. Could you maybe share for people, you know, because I'm I'm instantly connected with your story. I, I can I can I can immerse myself in your story in those experiences because I've had enough of them myself in my life to have a reference point. Can you think of a few other times in your life yeah. where you've just been hit with that overwhelming sense of transcendence, that similar yeah, that feeling that the kingdom of God is breaking in, that there's things that are happening now that you don't necessarily have good natural explanation for, whatever you want to describe it. Do you have a few other stories from your own life in which you've just been marked by this yeah. nowness of the transcendent God? Absolutely.
1: Okay, so here's, here's, here's a few. I'll, I, I can tell a couple stories about these sorts of things. And then I can also tell you, where I hit the wall with the not yet kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. And some of those happened back to back. So we'll just kind of go rapid fire here. I was a young man, went to my very first vineyard conference back in the day. We had become a part of the vineyard. We didn't even know what the vineyard was. That's another story. So I'm suddenly in a church that kind of accidentally got got planted, was born in some ways. We became a part of the vineyard. Some of the leadership thought, well, We should find out what the vineyard is. Adam, you're into worship. We'll send you to Southern California. I'm like 17, right? (laughs) This is the 90s. No one has a cell phone. They gave me $500, a credit card, and bought me a plane ticket, and they threw me on an airplane. (laughs) So I end up in Los Angeles. And as soon as I get off the plane, I'm greeted by, like, the singing and dancing of Hare Krishna. I didn't even know what that was. Scared me half to death. I make my way through. Anyway, finally get to my hotel and I'm walking back and forth because I can't rent a car because I'm too young to the church. So I, I go to the vineyard there in Anaheim. And this is shortly before John Wimbert died. And if you don't know his story, like I said, he was profoundly used to plant churches, profoundly used to teach about gifts of the spirit, uh, especially healing. Uh, John saw amazing healing in his life. And then almost paradoxically, his own body essentially fell apart and he Mm -hmm. died in what many would say would be circumstances that were, uh, fairly, I I would just say paradoxical and he died young. I mean, that's, I don't know any other way to say it anyway. So John is preaching and he's had some sort of a, like, um, an issue in his mouth and in his throat and in his saliva glands. And for whatever reason, he has almost no strength left in his body. I mean, we're talking, this is towards the end of his life. He's spraying fake pig spit into his mouth, you know, uh, because he's just, his body has deteriorated. While he's preaching uh, a a very, what I would consider to be non-charismatic, and I'm using the phrase in the sense of, Just not exuberant. There's just no strength left in him. He's preaching this message that's fairly non-charismatic. The power of the Spirit is profoundly tangible in the room, profoundly. And at the end of his message, John says, "Hey, I think that we're supposed to pray for the young people here tonight because I'm very concerned that what has happened in the vineyard that it must be transferred to the next generation." So if you're under 28 years old, will you just please come up here? And some of us old timers want to lay hands on you. It's this kind of a moment. I'm like 17, 18. So I'm like, okay, I'm in that category. I go forward. I stand up front. I do the vineyard thing. You kind of, you put your hands out. Imagine. Carry the TV. That's right. Carry the TV. That's right. Exactly. Great image. Put my hands out. I close my eyes. I, you know, I don't, I've had some experiences at this point, but I'm, I'm, I'm just up front. I don't know anyone in the room. No one knows me. And a man comes over to me and puts his hand right on my chest, and he begins to pray for me, and that heavy blanket starts to <laughs> just fall back on me. But this time, he begins to yell at me. He, he shouts the word freedom as loud as a person can <laughs> yell. So just think William Wallace, right? <laughs> And, and a very similar thing happens to me again. I'm, I'm in the floor. I don't, I'm, I'm, I kind of lose connect with time. uh, But I'm very aware of the room. I hear all, you know, just for those of people who've never had this experience, I'm, it's like you're loose connection with time, but very, very aware of everything that's happening in the room. And I'm just very, very aware of the love of God. That Mm -hmm. is, that is the thing I'm very aware of. Yeah. And, um, and if and I, I even remember a phrase that was sort of in my head and heart during this moment, which which was, you are my son and you make me happy. Which I'm I I grew up in church. I knew the Bible, but I I didn't know it super well. It it was years later that I realized that these are the very words that the Father speaks over Jesus at his baptism, right? And so I'm just having this. Spirit baptism that's what it is, you know, and, you know, if people are wondering, like, what is the baptism of the Spirit? It is the awakening to the love of the Father. That's really what it is. And I'm having this. Anyway, I get up. I go back to my hotel and I try to get in to my hotel room. I take the little magnetic strip card. It doesn't work. I go down front to the lady. She makes another card for me. I go back up to my room. I get in. I take off my watch. Back in the day, people wore watches, uh, not because they were flexing, because they had a Rolex, but because they wanted to know what time it is, you know? It was either that or the sun. That's it. So I look at my watch and it's dead. The watch is dead. It's like this little Timex watch. They had a battery in it. Battery's dead. I look down, it's like 908. That was like an hour ago. And the next day I'm supposed to leave and go home. So I thought I'll pay for my hotel room the next morning with my credit card. And the credit card didn't work magnetic strip on it was dead and so everything on my body that was battery magnetic (laughs) just stopped working and um i still have that watch and and you know can i prove that it came from this moment where i had some sort of a power encounter with god i can't prove that like a holy spirit emp yes do i think that happened yeah i actually do think that happened um so yeah weird moment right like just but just so overcome it just every other thing just stopped working, and again, just really, really shaped. um let me tell you just two more stories, yeah, please do. this would be we'll just fast forward several years. there was I'm pastoring now i'm not I'm no longer the worship leader, I'm the pastor of this this vineyard church, and there's a couple in my church, and they have a son. And it's not their first son. I think it's their third born son. His name is Elijah, he, he, he's born, and when he's born, he's born deaf, 100% deaf. And they, they bring him to a few people to just have us pray for him because we have some expectation about healing, right? And so just a, a few people just on staff, gathered with the husband and wife, and we prayed for a little Elijah. And anyway, they, nothing, like when we pray for him, we, we, we literally feel nothing. My prayers. You didn't get hit with the heavy blanket there. No blankets. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Uh, I I, I just distinctly remember holding the little baby. I put my legs really close together and we just set the baby in my lap and we just, we just took turns holding the baby and praying for him. And it was this really stark moment. I don't know how to describe it. It just, but it it did not feel powerful. It felt nothing, you know, and mom and dad took him back to the doctor and they ran some hearing tests on him the following week. And he went from 0% hearing to 25% hearing. And I'm thinking, this is amazing. So they brought him back and we prayed for him. And he went from 25 to some other increased function of hearing. And so they brought him back and our staff prayed for him again. And he went to a hundred percent hearing and they're still at my church and little Elijah has perfect hearing. Wow. And, wow. and the medical report on his chart says spontaneous recovery.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> okay. So yeah, I, that moment, but then in inside, like, so after we see that a little Elijah gets healed, this is like a few weeks later There was a guy at my church who is a hero in Campbellsville, Kentucky. Uh, A guy who helped basically establish the university in town. I mean, just a hero. He has a business that employs a lot of people. He was a part of our church. Loved the Lord. Got cancer. And got it just got cancer bad, right? And we're coming off the heels of seeing little baby Elijah get all of his hearing back and I take a friend from the church with me to this man's house and we're going to pray for him. And by this time he's in a bedroom and he's beyond feeble. And he's lying basically in the fetal position. And if you've ever been with someone when they die, oftentimes they curl up into a fetal position and we put our hands on this gentleman and we ask the spirit to come to not just bring comfort, but to bring healing. And as we're praying, it felt like the wind, I I don't even know how to describe it. It felt like the winds of heaven are with us, right? Mm -hmm. I could not have felt more powerful. It it felt like God is so with us. And actually, I believe that he was, you know? Yeah, yeah. And And we left that that moment and I got in the car and my friend says to me, he's definitely healed, don't you think? And I looked at (laughs) him and I said, Gotta be. (laughs) I mean, just gotta be. Mm. And three days later, he was dead. Mm. Right? So, yeah, I'm just telling those stories because that's just sort of the frame for this wild thing we call the kingdom of heaven. Uh, It is now and it is not yet. It is here. Mm. We can know it. We can see its effects. And then and then sometimes you can be so sure that the thing is going to happen and it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. The, those are some stories that just that sort of like come to the top of my own awareness, even now that just gives some people, maybe some frame for some of my own experiences and even the way that I still work things out theologically and what my pastoral expectation is. As we disciple and lead people. So
0: I think probably for most people who are in some sort of Christian upbringing, some sort of Christian stream or background, um, you know, as a propositional idea, it wouldn't be too revolutionary for someone to say that the transcendent God, the ineffable the Holy God is accessible to you and me in Christ and by the Spirit. I, I mean, I, you could go even, you know, you're saying you're situated in kind of Southern Baptist territory and there's a lot of cessationist Southern Baptists that wouldn't be necessarily open to the sorts of charismata happening that you might see at, at your church. But they would still probably on some level say as an idea, as a doctrine, we know that we have access to this transcendent God through Christ, through the spirit. But I think maybe as we start comparing different traditions, they they might have, these different traditions might have some different lists of things like, for example, sacraments, that they might say, this is the point, a practice in which we do this practice. And it, it specifically functions on our, our list of approved practices here, where you can have, Maybe a special access, a means of grace might be some language, theological language, some circles use, And then there might be others, other traditions or denominations that might not have a formal list, right, in the same way that you'd have, let's say, in the Catholic Church. Um, They might not have a formal list, but they might, in their behavior, and you walk into their worship service, you might say that even though they don't have a formal list, their practices might imply at least a belief that God is accessible in something like singing, right? And something like reading the Bible. And um, so how do you square maybe these sorts of, you go to these different traditions, they have different ideas on what's on the acceptable list of practices. And then beyond that, They have a different set of rules for once you maybe are having some sort of experience of transcendence or wonder and awareness of God's presence. There's a different list of sort of approved, acceptable responses to that, right? There's different house rules as you go into, you know, I'm not in a, a particularly charismatic context right now. You know, we're old free church. And you're not going to see a lot of outward visible responses to the activity of the spirit, even though people here believe the spirit is accessible. I don't we're not cessationist or anything like that, like that. So how have you navigated? You know, just in, you're in a vineyard church, but you're, you have interactions with people outside of your tradition and stream. And uh, how have you navigated the different ways people might talk about the experience of God? What, what's some language that you find to be helpful, that you're finding to be helpful for people today to just talk about that experience? And, and then what do you do about the different ways people might want to respond or be afraid to respond to that, questions. that sense questions. of god's nearness
1: yeah you know those are great questions paul i mean but do I you guys I... have
0: a list that you go and say hey he, here's the practices that we have there we go this is this is a spiritual practice that we we approve and we will tell you doing this one isn't on the approved list and you can open. it will open you up to the activity of the spirit it will give you greater connection to your union with Christ, whatever the language is. Do you guys have a list? We don't. We don't. that's that's
1: that's part of our our own vineyard legacy is that some of this is still Mm non-articulated. That being said, it wouldn't surprise me if in the next 10 or 15 years, if some of it is articulated, just because of some of the discussions I've been having with some other vineyard leaders. Because the idea of... Vineyard Values has been around for a very long time, but then part of what's growing is this awareness that it isn't enough to just talk about values, but we have to talk about practices. Yes. Yes. Because once we talk about practices, then there's something that's, that's more, if I'll put it this way, transferable to another generation, you know, it's like, here's some way to actually do this thing or to be this thing or to be a part. So it's, That's a discussion that I think is bubbling in our own community. I will say this, though. Part of my journey has been through my late teens and all the way through my 20s was into a very charismatic nearness of the spirit kind of world, right? But then through my 30s, and I just turned 42, then my 30s and early 40s, it, it, it's as though the spirit took me into some other corners of the church to show me all of these other ways that he is also available. Right. So
0: it kind so of started with some Dallas, of those contributions.
1: Yeah. So it kind of started with Dallas Willard and then Richard Foster. Yeah. And then Thomas Merton. And then I realized that the Abbey that Thomas Merton wrote from is only 35 miles from me. Hmm. And so I started to go visit them. So like imagine the most opposite thing (laughs) to all of my church experience in the world. So there's, there's this Trappist monastery in the middle of Kentucky and they own like 3000 acres and they've been there since the middle 1800s praying and reading the Psalms, singing the Psalms and working the land every day, you know? Hmm. And, um, they chant and it's, it's just amazing. And, and, and it's a place of silence. They, it's a silent monastery, like it's a silent monastery. So I started taking silent retreats and finding that, Oh, God is with me in the silence. Hmm. And I started hanging out over there at least once a year and finding out that God is with me in communion and, and, and these them, are not
0: things that you would typically say are regular practices in charismatic streams, like silence. Yeah, I mean… I silence mean, just seems like it's like the antithesis of the Spirit's activity. It's
1: right. It's like, in charismatic streams, or I'll put it this way, my experience of charismatic streams, because yeah. I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but my experience of charismatic streams are exactly what you're saying. Like, silence is the thing we're trying to get away from. I mean, we wouldn't articulate it like that, but… But all of our conception of the nearness, the presence of God, or the inbreaking of the kingdom, the result of that is never silence. The result of that is always, you know, it's Acts chapter two, the spirit comes to speak, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so, so there's been this journey in my own life of, of getting to hang out with these Trappist monks and these Catholic brothers and finding God in those places that has been really profound. And- even, even up to and including things like confession. I, I just had, I had one of the most life-changing moments of my life over there accidentally going to confession. So I was on this silent retreat and this is how stupid I am. <laughs> I, this is, it's kind of great. Because I, I just don't know, you know? It's, yeah, still, it's yeah. still not a part of my world. I, I'm at this silent retreat and there's a little sign. There's like this really big chapel. And then there's a small chapel Beside the big chapel, and there's a sign on the door, and it says, "Reconciliation Tuesdays at four and Saturdays at four. <laughs> and I looked at it and I thought, "Well, it's Tuesday and it's four o'clock or whatever." I'm gonna go in there and see what
0: this is. So I go like in. Like it was and, a bakery I, with open, <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah, I, now, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I'm telling you, when I read the sign, I had no idea what I was going into and I opened the door and the the room is really dark and there's like these little wooden pews and then there's like a little candle lit up front next to a crucifix and then finally my eyes adjust and I see that there's some other people sitting in the pews but they're not doing anything and I thought well I guess you go find a spot and sit down so I went and sat down and no one's doing anything and then finally the door I came in it opens up and this monk comes in really confidently and he just walks into this other room and he doesn't come out. And then, uh, then as soon as he gets into the other room, one of the people in the pews stands up and goes in and a moment or two later, they come out and then another person stands up and goes in and in a moment or two, they come out. And then like, this happens like three <laughs> times and I realize what it is. I'm like, Oh, this is confession. <laughs> and then I you have this.
0: penance to pay,
1: Adam. Oh, I, I have this existential moment. I'm like, Am I going to, am I, am I gonna stay? Am I gonna do this? Yeah. And I decided I would do it. So I I decided I would go last. I was a chicken again. So I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so I'm the last one. I go in and and it's like the classic thing. You know, I mean, probably you have some Catholics who are listening to this going, well, you're a bozo. But <laughs> for me, it's like this classic thing. He's behind. He's behind the, the veil thing totally. and I can see like the outline of his face. I'm like, this yes. is great. I'm in a movie. And so I tell him, I said, hey, I, I think the first thing I need to confess is that I'm not a Catholic and I don't even know if it's, I don't even know, if, I don't even know if I'm allowed to do this. <laughs> and, and he doesn't say anything to me. Instead, I hear him get up and he comes around the corner and he's now in front of me he pulls up a chair, and he sits in front of me knee to knee, and he says, "What's your name?" And I said, "My name is Adam." He says, "Adam, I want you to tell me everything." And we're, <laughs> listen, we're sitting knee to knee, right? And, and I don't you're stuck that in that booth; with.
0: you can't go anywhere, right?
1: No, 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 no. But it was the but I I guess the one thing that's missing from my telling of the story right now is. This felt so fatherly and kind. I can't. Ah, yeah, I, I yeah, cannot yeah. describe to you. This wasn't like was
0: intimidating, manipulating. No, no, no. no, no. no yeah. This
1: wasn't intimidating. This was. This was like there was something about it that was so fatherly and kind. And so I told him everything. I and and Paul. I didn't tell him like the stuff that had happened in the last six months of my life. I told him everything. I told him about all the times that I had gotten drunk in high school. I told him about all the times that I had struggled with pornography when I was a teenager. I I told him everything. I told him about like my anger issues with specific people. I just went through the whole list, right? I just told him everything. And finally, I, I get finished. And when I finish telling him, he puts his hands on my shoulders and he says, Adam, Jesus died for the sins of the world, including yours. And I lost it. I'm telling you, <laughs> I lost it. And I cried. I mean, Uh-oh. I didn't cry. I wailed.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I wailed, man. I just wailed. And, um, and he just, he embraced me. And it mm. was like I was being embraced by God himself. It was the most fascinating and wonderful moment. Anyway, I, I left that room and I was a thousand pounds lighter. I, I felt like I could float. Two days later, I went home and when I come in the door, my wife comes over to me and she says, what has happened to you? I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, you don't even look the same. It's like Moses come down the mountain, right? Yeah. She goes, you, don't Count, even look, the same. She goes, you look, you look different. Something's happened to you. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. well, I think I just confessed maybe for the first time in my life. No, I'm a pastor.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't think I've ever done that. Right. And I, I find I've started to find the experience of God, and even things that that I've been socially and even religiously conditioned to be afraid of.
0: Mm. Yeah. What about the different ways that you might see people respond to God? That can be a, another contentious area, right? Um, between different streams, have you have you found yourself opened up? I mean, you already talked about one with silence, you know, that's certainly not a a response that is on the acceptable list in charismatic, lots of charismatic circles. Um, Have you found there to be other like bodily embodied responses to that sense of the spirit's nearness and transcendence that you've either opened yourself up to or you've helped other people become open to?
1: You know i you know at the at the moment those are the those are the things that sort of like pop into my into my mind mm-hmm. right now um, it's just interesting as we're talking at least in my in my in the way that my mind works it's just interesting to me as i've walked some of this out and then met people from different streams, how it seems as though every stream really does have its own practice and language for what you and I are talking about. Yeah. Like like how we approach a transcendent God and how might we expect a transcendent God to approach us. Yeah. And 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 part of my spiritual journey has been awakening to just the different streams and the gifts, the real gifts that they carry. And and it's been it's been a learning experience for me to to realize that um some of the things that I that I was fairly resistant to as as simply a charismatic are actually the areas that that God has has reserved some of his most precious things for me in. Hmm. You know? I mean, like I'll just I'll share this with you as as well, Paul. Like I, I think I grew up not because anybody was not because any of my my leaders were bad people, definitely not. But I definitely grew up in a culture that was i think fairly anti-intellectual right yeah Yes, yeah. so yeah,
0: seminaries are cemeteries
1: that's right so this is even another
0: area where where
1: i've found the nearness in the presence of god like even just encountering things like theology and yeah. and you know actually taking jesus's words seriously loving god with your your heart soul mind and strength right mm-hmm. like we, we i knew the verse and i had no clue that that a person could have a have a, what we might call the life of the mind and it be uh not only useful but it that it could be a place where you could meet God like the, yeah uh reading reading people who have gone before you like yeah that's been a that's been a part of my journey too, like adding these little things back
0: does that Helps make too yeah, it totally does because that was it I've shared this with people before. For me, the doorway because I grew up in the again part of my particular unique tradition in the charismatic stream was was very anti what they would say anti intellectualism, but very against the the life of the mind as if that as if we can so like easily separate these things right I mean everything. This is kind of when you step back, and maybe you be able you're able to, as you read more widely, read deeper into the historic church. You're able to pick up on some things that you go, you know, there was a there was a bit of Gnosticism, like the ancient Gnostic heresy, that nobody explicitly was laying out. But in a lot of the context that I inhabited for for much of my life in, in charismatic Pente- Pentecostal streams, there was this there was this hidden Gnosticism that was uh, in our practice, in the things we affirmed, it was all about the escape from the imminent, from the embodied, from the physical, even a lot of our end times theology that was floating around. And it's really diverse. I mean, charismatic eschatology is not monolithic. It's so so diverse. People may not realize that. But in a lot of places, like, um, you might have this heavy emphasis on, you know, sort of dispensationalist rapture theology. And, you know, without unpacking that, a lot of things that I interpreted in that was that God's ultimate objective is to take us away from here, take us away from our problems, to take us out, um, to take us out of our bodies, to take us out of this physical world. And uh, connected to that was essentially this idea that to get into a book, right, to get into uh, the cognitive processes of evaluating theology and, and really what I would say now is getting to know God's story, that doing that in a mode that wasn't through intuition was seen as vastly inferior. Now, nobody called it intuition. But I think that would be the language that I would use about the, you know, the difference between intuiting the spirit, right? Which is why this language is so hard. And I don't discount that. I I am, I am always trying to remain open to intuiting the, the activity of the spirit and the, the working of an ever-present God in my life and the world around me in ways that go beyond the bounds of my language and. The frame that I'm currently inhabiting. So I'm open, I'm open to that. But there was a sense in which what was emphasized so strongly was intuitive, intuitive. I feel the Lord saying this. The Lord told me this. And what they're talking about is, you know, things like the inner witness of the spirit, this very internal. And I've affirmed those things. And but it seemed like anybody that started to step into the mode of, hey, you know, we just kind of like we just want to like exegete this scripture and we're going to use some solid commentaries. It was like religious spirit, you know, you have these phrases in circles like pharisaical spirit, religious spirit. Right. Um, and what for me was really transformative was, was being around people and seeing people that had both going on, that they were open to God communing with us in a way that transcends—I would say it's like supra, S-U-P-R-A, rational instead of not rational. It's just—it goes—it goes beyond. It's like what the angels say in Isaiah six. It's holy. <laughs> you know, it's like—I yeah. don't have any other words for this. But uh, for me, it was those kinds of reviv—you know—those renewal experiences of my youth. It was years of leading worship and being in. Enraptured in like long spontaneous sets, where you know we are just thrusting all of whatever this is when we point to our chest, the inner essence of who we are. We're throwing it into the vast ocean of who we believe God is, and and you feel this drawing out. And for me, it was like, man, I really want to know this God, and, and I want to know Him in all the ways I can know Him. And I also want to be able to know some of the ways that people are saying this is the activity of God, and be able to discern between that which I can, I should celebrate, and that which I should say, no, that's not part of the activity of God. Which leads into, right? You know, the Scriptures, church history. It's going, hey, has anybody thought like this or done this thing before? Right. Right. well, and one of the awakenings I had, even along
1: the line, the very lines of what you're talking, this idea of that that there is a life of the mind that it isn't that it isn't fundamentally opposed to the life of the spirit that they actually go together that that we don't have to reject our bodies in order to embrace God, right? And that's really that's really the crux of it. But I had this little awakening one day when I realized, oh. The whole Bible, and especially some of the parts that I love the most in the Old Testament, you know, uh, the prophets themselves, we wouldn't even know about their experiences. We wouldn't even know about Ezekiel's charismatic, uh, profound heavenly experiences if he wasn't also a writer, if he wasn't also someone who put things down. You know, we wouldn't know anything about Isaiah if it wasn't that he was a literary master. Uh, we wouldn't have the Pentateuch if it wasn't for the fact that there's some sort of a tradition that told these stories contained I don't you know everybody has a different idea on how these stories came together but but probably some sort of like a community that that held these mm-hmm. stories uh, refined these stories and then someone put these stories down for us in a way that that has remained I mean think about that like the craftsmanship we're not we're not talking about just any old thing here we're talking about some of these stories are more than two millennia old, three, four millennia old, probably reaching back even into what we might call uh, near prehistory. Like this stuff is something else. And so there's this symbiotic relationship between the life of the spirit and even the life of the mind or the, the, the life of the person who's encountered God. But then the way that they work that out and it might, it might show up in, in highly refined, artistic forms that are usually reserved, at least, you know, some, in some of these Old Testament cases for uh, uh, men and women who are highly educated, you know? Right, right. Look, like, like Isaiah's not a dummy. No, no. <laughs> Ezekiel's not a dummy. Mm-hmm. Uh, David was no, he wasn't just a, a giant killing dummy, you know? The, he, he could write some stuff and it endures. Like, why does Psalm 23 endure? Why is it that even people who who don't really have much of a maybe they don't even want to walk with God necessarily? Maybe, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But they'll know Psalm 23 and can read it and go. There's something about that that just resonates with me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know. So the, I, I had that awakening one day that oh my gosh, these things actually just like you were saying a moment ago, these things go together. Yeah, yeah. and it's just peeling back those layers of of subtle dualism that I'd picked up along the way and this becomes another area where i begin to find find god lurking again so we've got we've got
0: this we share this background of um having maybe built into us through these experiences and openness to the transcendent god and the inbreaking of the kingdom into the here and now you know and i don't know how much you've you've delved into any of the work of people like charles taylor leslie Nubigan, james k smith they're all kind of they've all kind of wrestled with this sort of secular age thesis and we've talked about it quite a bit on this podcast in the past it's been one of the primary thrusts of lectures i've given conversations i've had with people but a a lot of them have written about what's happened in our modern age and the sort of disenchantment that happened post the enlightenment and and part of the process of the enlightenment was um, you know, we want to move ourselves away from sort of superstitious thinking. We've got the scientific revolution, which helped us see a lot of the things that we associated to some sort of supernatural force, whether it's the movements of the planets and the stars or the weather. We have found what we might say are like mechanical explanations for how those things work. And we've become so good at that, that it seems like in every generation, there's less and less of a need to invoke some sort of supernatural deity, right? To invoke some sort of spiritual agency behind these things. And it's gotten to the point, and this is what guys like Taylor and James K. Smith have highlighted. We've gotten to the point where everything is imminent. It's right in front of us and we have no more room for the transcendent in our day-to-day lives. And in breaks into the 20th century, like right on, right as this movement is exploding, the secular movement and the materialist narrative is exploding, right at the beginning of the 20th century, we have something like Azusa Street, right? Which is, to me, I think in a lot of ways is birthed out of people's hunger to have their world re-enchanted, right? And saying this isn't this isn't good enough. And even people that were, you know, in Christendom, which I'd like to distinguish between the actual practice of following the way of Jesus in the world. There was the cultural Christians who had never experienced a a moment of wonder or awe, transcendence or communion with God. And so we are haunted. We're haunted even whether we're in Christendom, whether we are in a church church, whether we are not practicing any particular religious belief, whether we're one of those nuns that has now surpassed in America, even evangelicals, we're haunted by longings for, for transcendence. And I I think we're, we're seeing that. I think maybe that's some of the appeal to a a church like your church, Adam, is that, that, that people can come. And I, there's part of me that misses. I, I miss that. You know, I don't, I don't experience that regularly. Even just recently I heard a recording of of something somewhere and it was a a group of people singing in tongues which even in charismatic churches is fairly rare. A lot of a lot of places now, you know. Um and I was in I was like enraptured by it. You it's know, beautiful. If you've it was beautiful. Heard it was really beautiful. I mean I has been years since I've heard it. Yeah, it was like an or- I've I've compared it to like an orchestra tuning up in the orchestra pit. You know, you've got that reference note, and all the the instruments are sort of weaving in and out. And that you usually has that in a room. And I'm gonna about with musical accompaniment. I'm just talking about when you were those old school days when I was a kid, and you'd be in a prayer room before service, and somebody would just start singing out. And um, I, I bring that all up because I know there's an attraction. To what's happening in churches like yours, there's an attraction to experiences of the transcendent, and we were just talking online recently about the growing cultural attraction to to psychedelic experimentation, even among people that have had these sorts of experiences, like you and I, and are getting older and going, I don't know what to do with those. I'm still hungry and longing for more. And this is a really big deal. We were talking about how huh, this is a really big deal with people our age and younger. And, and it seems a little bit like theologians and pastors are not having public conversations about it. I'm not seeing it. I'm like digging through theological journals for any sort of resource I can. And so let's do it. Let's have, let's have some public yeah. discourse about this because I think it's connected and I wanted to pick your brain on it. Well, first, are, are you getting people, I, I, just in case I'm wondering if this is just regional things happening, is it, is it happening with you? Are you getting people coming to you, whether they're in your church or just, just people you interact with that are coming to you as a pastor with, with questions about like, hey, is psychedelic experimentation, should that be on the list of things that we approve as sacraments or practices?
1: Yeah, I know I wouldn't say that I'm having those conversations every week, but I would say in the last 3 years it has become a thing. Yeah. And and we're again, like you're saying, these are conversations that I was not having maybe 5 or 6 years ago, but in the last 3 have popped up. Is it with, with a specific age group? Is it diverse well, ages? Yeah, in general, I would say it's that it's that 20 to 35 year old Male, so the Joe Rogan demographic. I think it is the Joe Rogan demographic. So I think it's, I think there's something happening there in the Joe Rogan, Sam Harris world. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I've sort of awakened to, just even with the Twitter conversation you and I had a couple of weeks ago, and just some of, some of the experience I've had in the last couple of years, is the degree to which a what you were saying a moment ago. Uh, the ways that uh, guys like Taylor and Smith have framed for us a a de-enchanted world. Mm -hmm. Yes. There's something about pure rationalism that has taken away the transcendent. And not just taken away the
0: transcendent, but it has taken away... um, The joy of the mundane even, right? Yeah. Like, it's not even just having the the feeling in a church service and what are the other vehicles are like meditation or people doing, you know, experimenting with chemicals that might alter their states of consciousness. It's, it's taken away the joy of even the moment, the mundane and the imminent in front of you. Yeah. So there's that.
1: And then at the same time, the, the other thing I've sort of awakened to is the degree to which certain podcasts are inviting and, and, might I even use the word discipling a demographic of people that are in our churches. So there's a sense in which, you know, if you're a pastor listening to this, one of the things you need to know is that your, your young guys are probably listening to Joe Rogan and to Sam Harris. And they're wondering, they're, they're doing compare and contrast, right? They're doing the compare and contrast between the life that these guys talk about. And then the life that maybe we hold out,
0: in our in our congregations,
1: yeah, and it's I want to be sure. Jim I don't Rogue. think
0: I don't think either one of us are, are trying to build a, um, a straw man with Joe Rogan, Sam Harris. They, th- those guys, I, I appreciate. It. I listen, I'll listen to both of them, even though I don't hold the same guiding story as them. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of you know, uh, Sam Harris, even as a dogmatic atheist, I'll, I'll just I want to know uh, what's going on in that guy's head.
1: Yeah, me too. Well, so like last week, I listened to his interview with Andrew Yang, and it was awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Right, it was just, it was great. I'm like, why can't we have more conversations
0: like this yep. in the world? They're, they're doing a lot of things right.
1: They are. And at the same time, they're bringing some things to the forefront that are causing people to have questions. And then there's, as you were saying a moment ago, just sort of a, um, there there's definitely a lack of conversation in in any direction for how pastors should think about this or or you know, even begin to have that dialogue with the people who are in our
0: churches. Yeah, but you're right. The discipling is already happening. I just even noticed, uh, I was just surprised, like front of my Netflix recommendations was a, a new film about psychedelic exploration and the host of it was Nick Offerman. There you you know, uh, Parks and Rec guy, Ron Swanson. Yeah, And they're interviewing Sting and they're interviewing, who else did they interview? I mean, there's a bunch of actors, comedians that are talking about Their psychedelic journey. I'm like, these are happening. Uh, We've talked about this quite a bit on this podcast, but you know, our guiding story um, is oftentimes I think more shaped by the stories we're consuming during the week on Netflix, you know, on television, the books that we read, than the one or two hours we might be at church. Right. Yeah, I think that's pretty normal. I, I, I'd also be interested
1: in this fall. You said you popped up your Netflix, and then up comes this recommendation. Had you watched something on Netflix before that was in the psychedelic world that would cause the algos? To <laughs> this to you, or no? Right, I'm, right. I'm genuinely yeah, interested. Yeah, yeah. In it. yeah. Had you had you preserved some of that on Netflix, or or? Is is your phone listening? And I don't mean to sound like a conspiracy theorist <laughs> yeah. here, but I'm I'm becoming yeah. more convinced that the internet as a as an entity is is you know just by all, all of our Google searches by the things that we're consuming hmm. that those algorithms are being reinforced in in quieter and much much stronger ways that are that
0: are even beginning to feed us content back into Surely. different. Well, loops. I think I think I just they, their algorithms are probably able to pick up that I'm in that you know 20 to 45 year old male yeah. algorithm you know just based on this guy's into science fiction stuff and you yeah, know right. there's a few mindless action movies in there too so we're just <laughs> probably gonna recommend <laughs> always recommend always. this recommend him this so I'm I'm just curious. Like these conversations that you've seen a spike in, I've seen a huge spike in. It's the it's one of the biggest questions I get from listeners to this podcast. Um, it's one of the biggest questions I get, primarily from young men and men that that are younger than me. Probably actually more like the from like young millennials to the gen. Is it we got Y or Z? What are we in after that? I think it's Z. Gen Z <laughs> that are very open to it, they're very attracted to it. They are already experimenting with it. And the thing I always said, and I just had a guest on a few weeks ago, um, Paul Reese, who was deep, deep into new age stuff in his ninth, in his 20s, was a guru making 400 bucks an hour teaching people you know mantras and was a psychonaut. Was doing like astral projections and lucid dreaming deep into it. He got to the point where a couple like of these entity entities, as he described them, that he was meeting in these altered states of consciousness were um, were kind of beginning to torment him. And that's another story that I keep reading. I've actually I've been so interested in this Adam because like I really want to pastor people well. In this area, yeah. like I really want to offer them, and I don't want to do the thing where it's just like, "Hey, my cultural wiring is—I grew up being told this stuff is horrific, and so therefore I'm going to tell you that it's horrific." Like I, I don't—I don't think that's a good explanation. I—I um, I don't think you know. i, I grew up uh, in a setting that was totally teetotaler, right? And anybody that had a sip of wine or alcohol at all was was on the you know the the highway to hell. And, um, and then I was like, well, hang on a second. Like, you know, Jesus drank, <laughs> there was all this like evidence that was like, well, in moderation, this could be something that is actually an enjoyable gift that God's given us in creation. And so I think a lot of people I'm talking to are wondering about that marijuana too as well. And I'm going, all right, like, I really want to theologically evaluate this. I want to talk to people. So I actually, I've been reading there's actually like an online journal that um, people record. It's a, a it's a DMT journal where you can read about people's trips. And I just read one this past week. I'll send it to you. I should have sent it to you in advance. Where this guy talked about his um, his journey to meeting different entities that he was felt certain of in these states were conscious beings. It wasn't part of his consciousness that appeared to him as giving him these sensations of joy and peace and happiness. But as he got deeper into them, they started revealing these really dark, oppressive things to him. Actually, he described it as like they were initiating him into like religious rituals. And I read stories like that and I go... And I think about like ancient Mayans and the ancient Aztecs and Mesoamerican civilizations. And they're doing ayahuasca and they're coming up with conceptions of a god like Quetzalcoatl, who is this giant dragon serpent. And then they're ripping people's hearts out of their chests as their religious worship practice. And I'm going, okay, maybe, maybe there is, you know, there's also people that have these really positive experiences that they have on par john johns hopkins university released this study uh, of people's psychedelic experiences and the religious experiences and showed that people that uh, again this was in a controlled atmosphere had a had a psychedelic experience it prof- it produced in them similar results in their life to people who claim to have profound religious experience right. and on top of that I'm hearing stories from people that are doing this stuff that are having similar experiences to what I've experienced and seen in charismatic circles. Like yeah. they talk about things. I've heard people talk about DMT trips, like, you know, like the latter rain prophet Bob Jones used to talk about his, yeah. you know, visions of heaven. And I'm going, um, what's what's going on here? Like, as you've been thinking about this, wh- I mean, where where's your headspace at? <laughs> Yeah, okay. So here's where my headspace
1: is now, right? Yeah. And I'll just say I, I think I need to say a couple things up front. Number one, I've never been a drug guy.
0: Yeah, me neither.
1: I've never been a drug guy. And and that's not to shame anyone who is No. I've never had the attraction. Yeah, it's just some people just thing. don't. Like and it and it probably wasn't for not trying either. It's just like when I was in high school, I would always try to smoke and I could never smoke. You know, I could always I could always drink, but I could never smoke. Just even a cigarette would just like kill me. And so I, I was just like, you know, marijuana is off the list for me. And then beyond that experimentation, just it never really appealed to me. So I guess the first thing I need to say is I'm speaking as a pastor who is really, really uninitiated in a lot of this thing. Right. And so, I, you know, n- no shame for people who are, I'm not trying to like, posture myself
0: Yes, yeah, neither. neither. Me neither. I'm in this same place, and that's why I'm so curious to talk to other people and to learn.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, I'm with you. I've done a little reading, especially, you know, a couple of years ago, I started reading a lot more about it. Like, any time an article in the New York Times would pop up, uh, the, the Michael Pollan book, I, mm-hmm. I pulled that one in, into my world just to, just to start going, okay, what is this? Um, I'll just tell you where I'm at right now. Yeah, you know, no, no. I, I, here's where I'm at. Th- there's something to it, and and maybe maybe some of these things actually need more research. This is one of the main things I think. Um, it, it seems like there's a couple of these, a couple of these chemicals in particular that definitely need some more research. It seems as though they have a way of maybe possibly being very very helpful, especially for people who are deeply addicted to to other substances that they don't want to be addicted to anymore. Hmm. Right. Like just, just the way that some of these substances could possibly help people with breaking out of prescription drug addiction, things like that. I I don't know. So I'm saying, why don't we do the research? Yeah. Like let's, let's let the pros do the research. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's figure out does psilocybin help people Break out of restrictive addictive patterns i don't know let's 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 let the pros do some research the, the other thing I think too, and I guess I just want to mirror back to the way we started this conversation, which had to do with maybe the idea of transcendence and and people who are maybe wanting to experiment with some of these things as an avenue of Touching the transcendent or getting in touch with God or the divine, however you want to say it. Yeah. I guess pastorally where I'm at is Paul says in the book of Ephesians, he says, don't get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the spirit. And, and I'm not trying to sound like, you know, I'm not trying to sound like an old religious uh, stick in the mud. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I hear in Paul's admonition of don't get drunk on wine but instead, be filled with the Spirit. I think is in some ways an open door to there is something available available to God. There's a, something available to us in God that 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 maybe that sometimes substances can mimic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be honest here. My family we grow we grow wine grapes. We make wine. We have a winery. Like mm-hmm. I'm a wine person. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. I have been drunk on wine. I know what it is to be drunk on wine. Uh, I also know how miserable, I know how fun it is. I know how fun it can be in the moment and then how miserable it can be later. Right? And so I'm wondering, this is just my pastoral intuition at work here. Paul's connecting this idea of there's something, he says, don't get drunk on wine, instead be filled with the Spirit. So one He's making some sort of an, an equivalence here in terms of experience. I think Paul is saying there's something available in the spirit that is not unlike being drunk on wine. Like mm-hmm. the joy, the openness, the warmth, the connection. Um, I think it even goes down to this le- level, uh, the conversation. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Paul, have you ever drank a couple beers with your buddies and just noticed that the conversation got better? Totally. That's what it's yeah. there for, right? It's yeah, to help.
0: Lower, that's right. <laughs> all those anxieties, and
1: yeah, that's right. And then, have you also? I don't know. Have you ever had this experience where maybe you were with a couple people and someone began to talk about Jesus in a really sweet and an honest way, and then all of a sudden, everyone else around them is more open, and we're sharing stories, and then yeah. Like the only word I have for it is like Christian communion begins to happen. Yep. Just at the totally. mention of Jesus name. Totally. So I think one, Paul is saying there's something in the spirit available to us that is not unlike substances.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what I hear in it pastorally, if he's saying don't get drunk on wine and I know it, and I personally know what it is to be drunk on wine. I know, I know how fun it is at first and then how bad it is on the back end. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been in the shower begging Jesus to get me out, you know, (laughs) begging God, please, if you'll just get me out of this hangover. Right. You know, I know what that is. Right. And I know, I also know what it is to walk with people who have, who have become alcoholics and are trying to kick it. So I know the ways in which alcohol can give, but I also know the ways in which alcohol can take. And I'm wondering, this is just my pastoral intuition. Yeah. I'm wondering if substances like psilocybin, DMT and LSD um I'm wondering if these drugs don't also have some of a of a similar give and take mm-hmm. and that really requires us to to maybe slow
0: down and pump the brakes to figure out what that is. Yeah, that's where I that's where I've been at too and again like confessing like you have I've I mean I've 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 never, I've never done, never smoked marijuana. The first time somebody offered it to me, I was like, "Man, this smells like BL." I, I just, I never had the appetite for it. And again, that's not to shame anybody that 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 does. I'm just confessing, like you, I've just, I don't have that predisposition in me. So, uh, with that though, I think my reluctance, I confess, could be part of my programming. It could be a, a cultural bias, right? But I also do think. And I I talked about this with my guest, uh, Paul Reese. This was like a couple weeks ago. You know, I think part of the job of theology is in a sense to be slow in adaptation. There is like a burden of proof that I think needs to happen. And this is in the sciences too. It's like in any field where it's a new idea or a new theory comes up and it's like, Hey, you know what? We we need to properly test this and vet this before we include it into our official story or what we're going to teach people, especially as a, you know, an institution like a like a church. I think there's a lot of good to going slow looking, holding that thing out, looking at it from all angles. You, you run all the experiments, you put the crash test dummies in the vehicle and you see if the vehicle can handle it if you run the crash test dummies into the wall, all that stuff. I think that there's a responsibility on us to do that to make sure that um, to make sure that we're not adapting something that in the long run, as we get deeper into it is actually harmful and detrimental. I also think, and this was a great insight that um, that that guy, Paul Reese brought up. And he, you know, he said, he said, I think one of the things that happens when people take a psychedelic is they, they do have a guaranteed spiritual experience. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say. It's a shortcut, right? It's a shortcut. Yeah. That was his point. And there, there is something I wonder too, whether or not we need to actually learn how to traverse those dark nights of the soul, to be able to actually navigate the moments when we go in to pray, like you were talking about, and as you prayed for that 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 deaf child, and you don't feel anything at all, and to not hack that, you know, um, I I think there could be formative, spiritually formative value in experiencing the absence of god over the long haul of our life and I'm, I'm concerned about whether or not using a substance that gives you that automatically if that isn't a gift right like and maybe it is in some instance like i, I you know i had Somebody reached out to me recently. A pastor reached out to me, and I shared this in that that podcast too. Reached out to me and said he he was struggling with crippling depression. Tried everything, the counseling, you know, all the stuff, and um, you know he under like clinical supervision started um, doing ketamine infusions, cured his depression, right? And I look at that, and I also I don't want to look at that and be the person that goes, "Hey, I would advise you that you don't do that." Uh, be, if it's effective you know i i don't want to do that either but my my i'm sharing with you the caution in it for those for those reasons you know it's the shortcutting possibility maybe there is something to traversing and going through the difficulties because that's actually what what strengthens us in all of areas of our life is going through pushing through adversity through working out right it's like you know, in our marriages, right? I, I remember thinking when I got married, gosh, my wife is gonna be embarrassed by this, but that's all right. When I got married, right, I had this idea that it would just be like sex on demand. You know, maybe it's all those maybe it was a lot of bad purity talks that you kind of hear as a youth group that's kid. Right. It's like if you just hold out now You'll be great, you'll <laughs> be great the all the time. And then you realize, no, it doesn't work like that. You know, there's no shortcutting the magic. Um, no, I mean, one of the things that I've learned in my life, at least
1: as it relates to marriage and sex, is that foreplay starts at nine AM. <laughs> it's like do the dishes. Yeah. yeah Take out yeah, the trash. Yeah. That's right. You know? Yeah. Like uh, help the kids put their shoes on. All of this stuff is 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 key, my That's friend. going on the promotional materials for this podcast. That's right. You heard yeah. it here first. You heard, you that heard is it. solid
0: pastoral advice, by
1: the way. There's it no is. shortcuts.
0: Yeah, there's no shortcuts. And I wonder too, as you know, our one of the deep mysteries of the scripture is this sort of the language of consummation between God and his people, between God and humanity, God as the groom, his people as the bride, and this deep mystery of marriage, that we learn things in marriage. Uh, that marriage is a sacrament, right? It is one of these things that we've talked about that historically I am accessing God through my marriage in that long, hard process of growth and development. I'm I'm actually gaining access to insights, to knowledge of God that um, are sacred They've been affirmed by the scriptures. They've been affirmed through the trial and error of church practice. And I, I, I wonder if you know this is something that, as we explore, I don't want to say no to, you know, in all cases and all circumstances. But I do want to provide caution to people that are going, I "Hey, think, I think I want I think to shortcut it." I think
1: I'm in a similar space, and just maybe take your marriage and consummation image and work on it in another direction a little bit. You know, we, we started this podcast just by talking about some of the moments in my life where I really experienced the Spirit in a profound way. Profound, unexpected, right? And then later in life, I became aware of the Spirit in things like silence, confession, uh, theology almost the exact opposite, right? And it, it took me a while to sort of see the frame on this, but one of the things, or one of the ways I sort of describe the transcendent life of the Spirit these days to people is is something like this. You know, you, you have, um, we'll use your word consummation. That's a great word. Consummation. Consummation is fun. Consummation is exhilarating. Consummation is it's like it's like totality it's it's head to toe right? right and and when you're in you're you're all the way in it whatever that is you're all the way in it and there you go but the result of consummation is is hopefully you know at least biologically pregnancy and gestation and pregnancy and gestation is really different than consummation mm.
0: mm-hmm. just
1: as a moment it's just very very different and requires something different from the womb that's carrying whatever this little guy or gal is and even the father. And then, and then later you have delivery and you have birth and, and all of these are the stages by which I think a human life goes through. Yeah. A to get here. But I think it's also a great image for like the work of the spirit in a Christian's life. Mm -hmm. Like when the spirit comes to us or, comes upon us and begins to overtake us when we get, if we're going to use charismatic language baptized in the spirit, maybe that's a consummation moment. And God is, God is depositing something in us. He's going to burst something through us. And for me, it was an awakening to my own call, right? It got planted in me. And then, and then now here I am at 42 and I'm helping give some direction to a worship movement and then also my own church and I'm I'm stewarding these things that were burst to me to me and through me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm you know if I, if you want to use I don't mean to be so paternal but like I'm helping parent something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that doesn't mean I have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. Well, no, this I'm, is I'm, the, as, I'm as frail as any father, right?
0: This is the mystery but, of the kingdom of God, right? This it's is the it. mustard seed that, that grows right. into a tree, and you can't you can't microwave the mustard seed. That is right, and so here I am
1: experiencing a different moment in my life, but it, it, but it started with this consummation. And so I'm wondering if things like revival, the the experience of the transcendent, isn't like, if the purpose of it is not, I think the purpose of those moments is oftentimes to get us, to get us, um, to get us, uh, initiated into God's kingdom in a way that we cannot say no to, if that makes sense. Yeah. like God is doing something in us that we can't back out of in the same way that when a man and a wife come together and they, and they make a baby, there's, there's no going back, you know, or at least mm. in my world, there's no going back. Like we're having this baby and I have four at our, at our house. And so we're, we're raising those kids up and it's, it's, uh, it's an awesome experience. My oldest son is about to graduate. I've got uh, a awesome. seven-year-old. Our family is in a really sweet spot right now. Uh, but, but it's not the same thing as the moments that made those kids. Does that make sense? Mm. And I'm wondering if there's, I'm just wondering, kind of riffing off of what you're saying there yeah. too. Isn't some wisdom here in saying, you know what? There are some, 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 some ancient paths to experiencing God and they're really important. Yeah, and why not exhaust those first? Hey, why not exhaust those first? But then also, let's say that you do uh, take Paul seriously, and you you walk out the paths to being filled with the Spirit. You know, you begin to ask God, fill me with your Spirit. You begin to you begin to initiate that conversation with God in prayer and through the Bible and in worship, especially. Just giving yourself to God, you know? Mm. And then eventually He comes and gives Himself to you. And it maybe is fairly transcendent. And then, and then maybe afterwards you have a season that's that you that you might would feel is not the same in terms of your experience of the transcendent, but it's the fruit of transcendence. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also a very good thing. I think this is one of the ways that we re-enchant if we're going to go back to that yes. phrase. How do we reenchant the world well I think we have to we have to re imagine the story like mm-hmm. one of my favorite scriptures in the bible is when when the children of Israel are led out of egypt right and they're taken out of egypt by power, like God is doing power like mean, yeah. the rivers become blood there's frogs everywhere i mean he's he's saying to this oppressive uh This oppressive regime, you are going to let my people go, that they may worship me also, right? Yes. And then for 40 years, God cares for his people with a cloud by day and a fire by night and manna every morning. So there's this there's that's part of our story. But then the second part is they go into the promised land. And when they when they take the promised land, there's no more manna and they have to farm. Hmm. The progression. There's a progression. And, and and here's the thing. When they start farming, they don't have less of God. Hmm. When when they when they raise hmm. the wheat and bake the bread, it's not less God. It's profound. Yeah. This is yeah. so I mean I feel the Lord. <laughs> I yeah. feel the Lord right now. But <laughs> I think Paul, what I'm trying to say is I think sometimes we we all reasonably Ache for an enchanted world. And I think that's a that's a reasonable human desire. And it's it's a reasonable human desire to want to touch a transcendent God. Yes. And and I think one of the Eternity things Eternity set in the heart of man, right? That is right. I think, but I think one of the things we have to do pastorally is to say to people yes, transcendence is a possibility and you should pursue it. And if if the season of your life if you're living in a moment that seems non-transcendent, slow down and look around. Maybe it's, maybe it's pregnant mm-hmm. with the presence of God. And maybe we were just living in a false story. Yeah, I've been. Even I've a been, false Christian story. Okay. And, and I'm using Christian yes, here. Yes, yeah. You know, um, so I think sometimes what we need to do is, is to widen the, the story again yeah i love I love what you said about theology earlier. It's getting to know god's story. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, I think so pastorally for me, when it comes to psychedelics, I understand the attraction because we want a sure thing. We want a shortcut, but I'm wondering if it's taking away from us the possibility of reimagining the story or appropriately seeing the story that we've been born into.
0: Mm. I've been thinking about how. Yeah, I, I want to circle back around to what you were talking about with the movement of, of, from sort of like more and more grandiose experiences of God that the people of Israel had as they were led out of captivity, moving into the promised land where it would seem like there's less of that shock and awe to so even when we get into the ministry of Jesus, <laughs> right? And it's like, he does, he does these things which are, and I'm actually preaching about it this, this upcoming Sunday, Um, it's a demonstration of authority, but it's a qualitatively different kind of authority. It's not just more quantity of the same kinds of authority. And that happens. And it's like, all right, it's a mustard seed kingdom. And that requires sometimes that I move from the, I've been thinking about this, this metaphor, even just as I reflect my own life, where I look back on times where I thought the only way I could see God was using a telescope, and when I would look out at that telescope, I'd be looking and looking and looking for God. So again, like transcendence, the the, the shock and awe, the the getting hit with that overwhelming heavy weight that pins you to the ground, sort of okay. feeling. But I, I I've also seen that God's taken me through times in which I actually needed to learn how to use a microscope, too. Right to this this world beneath my nose, that there was this majesty and awe and wonder in my backyard, in my interactions with my kids, in just the, the mundane thing right in front of me. And I um, I do think, you know, I don't think, the point of having this conversation, I know we, were, we wanted, I think we just wanted to talk about it, just to riff on it together, it's not to give people any final answers or final conclusions in one 30-minute segment of this, this conversation, but it's at least to um, point people towards maybe some things to try first, right? And, and this was another great insight this, this, this guy had that came out of all that stuff. Is He said, you know, what I tell people is if you're willing to spend thousands of dollars to go down to Mexico to meet with a shaman who's going to stuff you filled with ayahuasca like in that 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 documentary on Netflix they interviewed Sting about his experiences one of them he was he went down to meet with a shaman in Mesoamerica they stuffed him with ayahuasca let him up a mountain and he's like i feel i'm blindfolded and i'm feeling wetness over me and i it turns out they're covering me in deer's blood right like like, if you're willing to go to those lengths, to me, it just seems logical to try to exhaust the options in front of us, which is like, you know, Holy Spirit, just make me more aware of your presence. Like, fill me, fill me up, gathering together in a community of people pursuing, pursuing Christ and, and saying, like, let's just, let's just pour out our, our hearts and song or let's, let's come to the Lord's table where we believe he's present and like, let's go to these things first. And then we can keep having conversations about that, but exhausting all of the the resources within our broad tradition. And maybe the thing is, Adam, I think maybe this is the hard part because I'm hearing this a lot from charismatics that are curious about it. I got a email or a message from somebody who's listened to the podcast recently. They live in Germany. They're in a charismatic church, and they're like, all of these young people are trying psychedelics, right? And I often wonder whether or not it would be more advisable if they heard your story, Adam, and they went, I'm still, even in my charismatic space, I still feel a sense of being trapped in this imminent frame. And maybe they need to go to a Trappist monastery. You That's know? right. And it's just like, they're missing. They didn't... they. We haven't seen the whole Christian story in, in and of ourselves. we haven't seen that's all right. the practices at our disposal that's right, and I think that's I think
1: that's totally where i'm at and I also think it's sound pastoral thinking there, you know like if you're going to travel and spend thousands of dollars why not why not uh, why not engage the things that we know lead to a life of awakening. Yeah. Not that there's any guarantee. I mean, God gets to be God. Yeah. Right. I I don't, I don't get to control him. I I think that's another, another part of this that, that might be very attractive. It's the, it's the surefire nature of certain psychedelic experiences, but then if it's surefire and if all I have to do is take this to get that or to take this, to get what I think is that, then it, it, in some ways it's again, removing it's removing the God part out of this in some ways. Right. Mm. And, and, and it's not saying I'm available and God, would you meet me in some new way? Right. Yeah. So I think that for me, that's another part of this.
0: Yeah. You know, we're going to have to, we're going to have to keep revisiting this, you know, I think
1: there's something here that's, I, I think for every disciple there's like my connection to God it's relational. Even, even my transcendent moments of feeling like the blanket of the heavy blanket of, of the love of God, it's, it's deeply relational. It's, it's not just an experience of feeling a blanket. I mean, if I want to feel a blanket, I'll go home, lay down, and have one of my kids throw a blanket <laughs> on me. What I'm wanting to connect with is, is, is the person, the person of God. I want to connect with the person of Jesus Christ. And I want to hear the Father say to me, You are my son, and you make me happy. I don't want to just have
0: a blank experience. Yeah. You're not just looking for an altered state of consciousness.
1: That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So I'm There's something
0: looking, beyond that.
1: That is right. I'm looking to connect with the father and I'm using capital F father there. You know, I'm looking to connect and in relationships, it's like we were talking about with our wives and, in even, and even, the sexual sides of our marriages, you know, it, there's, there's, there's something to it. That's relation. We're working it out together. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm, I, I, I don't dominate my wife. We're, we're in this thing together and our, our, our connection is, is deeply relational and it's deeply, uh, it's something that we discover mm. and we're working it out and I don't get to be a jerk at home and, and and sleep with my wife whenever I yeah, want, yeah, you know, yeah. I don't get to be a tyrant father and have whatever it is I want. No, that's not, that's not the atmosphere. And so I think just bringing it back into the discussion as it relates to God and transcendence, I think that's just really important.
0: Mm. And this has been a blast. Um, we got to do this more frequently, even just off off air. I don't That's know the, right, man. I don't know if people say off air or on air when it's a podcast. I say off air. Yeah, I don't know why. It feels right. <laughs> yeah, it feels it feels like we're doing something more yeah, more uh, significant. Well, um, maybe Adam. What's the? I, I just love one of one of my favorite podcasts is what you're doing on the ferment podcast. You have conversations about worship and transformation. The guests that you have on come from all different. Walks of life, musicians, artists, pastors, you've even had some doctors on, right? And, and yeah, like,
1: it's awesome. I, I, I try to just talk to anybody who's, who's interesting to me. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the only frame. It's like, do I like you? Are you interesting? Yes, let's, let's have a talk.
0: So where we're, you know you're, what's the name of the podcast again? Where can people find it? I'll make sure I provide links in the descriptions of the podcast here, but
1: yeah, the podcast is called "The Ferment." conversations about worship and spiritual transformation and you can find it any place you are listening to podcasts apple spotify youtube
0: you name it it's there yeah yeah so go check that out guys i'll provide a link in the description thanks again to adam this is just a blast to do this together man and we need to we need to do it more frequently that's right paul Well, I want to give special thanks today to the Deep Talks Patreon community who helped make this podcast possible. It's people like Theology 201 level supporters, Eli, Mark, Luke, Tim, Paul, you guys, thank you so much for your support and your contributions, which make this thing go, can't do it without you. So thank you so much. Well, believe it or not, this is the beginning of year three of this podcast. Yes, time has flied by. I'm so thankful to get to do this. I love having conversations with people like Adam. I love doing the sort of lecture series stuff that we do as well on this podcast. So if you're finding what I am bringing to the table to be valuable, I would love to invite you to become a supporter on Patreon. There's so many other things I want to be able to do. Uh, I've been really pushing to try to get out weekly episodes over the last month and get close to weekly, that close to weekly rhythm, but in order to do that, I need your help. So if you feel like supporting, even at the $2 a month level, that certainly goes a long way. And you can find out how to do that by clicking the link in the description that will send you to my Patreon page. Of course, you can also support this podcast by just even simply leaving, leaving a review and subscribing on Apple Podcasts, even if that's not the place that you primarily go to, to listen to podcasts, that's still the number one platform for most people. So if you leave a review there, it helps other people figure out if this is a podcast that might help them too. So thanks for considering doing that as well. You could also, if you just felt like giving a one-time donation for this podcast, I also leave a link where you can give just a one-time contribution as well. well finally, and most importantly to me, I love hearing from you guys. Whether it is something that dawned on you as you were listening to today's episode or a previous episode, or maybe it's a follow-up question. Maybe it's even an objection, a difference of opinion or perspective. I love hearing all of those things. I learn from you as you share your insights and questions and objections with me. So. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. That's the social media platform I'm probably most active on. You can also find me on Instagram too. Or if you become a member of the Deep Talks Patreon community, you can always message me there. I always respond to every single one of those, message, those messages that come my way in Patreon. And I try my best on Twitter and other places too as well. So I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to have dialogue together. And uh, so I hope you feel comfortable doing that. Thanks again for listening in today, and until next time, we'll talk again soon.